Mr. Robin Moore is our next guest in the Dog Risk Project. Hi, Robin. How are you? Doing very well. Thank you. Good. Tell us a little bit more about your role, uh, not just within the university, but about your research projects within the Dog Risk Program. Right. So I started with the Dog Risk Project about a year ago after I was asked by um, Professor Anna Young Bjorkman to join and analyze metabolomic data for her. Now, metabolomic data is probably a new term for most of you, so I thought I'd go into detail about that. But should I talk about should I talk about uh, canine research in general first, or should I just go straight into metabolomic? You know, why don't you tell us a little bit about the canine research in general first, and then specifically about about the the metabolomics that you're doing? Right. So I guess I could say that. I started working with Anna because she came to the realization that uh, the novel approach to studying canine diet and uh, physiology is on a molecular level. And things get really complicated on a molecular level because there's a lot of space for a lot of things to happen. So uh, what has emerged in this field of molecular study of dogs um, are these different omics-based studies. Now omics just simply means uh, holistic. So um, Johan Nutt will be talking about nutrigenomics, and that'll actually be talking about um, a holistic picture of genes in response to nutrition. Now, you can look at many different layers, such as proteomics and lipidomics, microbiomics, as Hanna Sinkpo will be talking about, and something that I think is incredibly important or crucial to add to this metabolomics, which is the study of metabolites in general in the body. So. Tell us a little bit about some of the novel approaches uh, to understanding the relationship between canine health and diet. Right, right. So as I was explaining, we really need to look at it on a molecular level. And we can look at uh, genetic changes in response to diet by analyzing gene sequences in different tissue samples. And uh, in the same way, we can also look at, um, well, proteins or lipids or metabolites. And so uh, the important thing is that you can't get all of the answers from just one method. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to want to combine a lot of different approaches in order to get a new or the best picture possible. However, all of these different approaches themselves are very new themselves. So studying just them individually is also uh, yields a lot of new information. Mm -hmm. So your specific area, uh, metabolomics, why why metabolites, Robin? Right. Okay. So I study metabolomics, and I'm currently studying the response that dogs have on a metabolic level uh, in response to food, uh, in response to different diets. It's important to note that I'm actually doing metabolomics. Metabolomics is an interchangeable term, such as sort of like nutrigenomics and nutrigenetics are interchangeable terms nowadays. So I'm focused on metabolites because metabolites have such a crucial role in our physiology, as well as having such a strong link to what we eat and what dogs eat. Any animal, uh, you know, uh, Hippocrates said that food is thy medicine, what we eat is what makes us. So, so I figured metabolites is a really great way 
of uh, studying exactly how nutrition affects dogs because you're actually looking at how the energy that is going into the dog via uh, food is actually broken down and then utilized and how efficiently it's utilized and to what extent. And I think that a lot of disease actually happens simply due to uh, discrepancies or disruption in um, the met different metabolic pathways. So uh, when I was there, you had just fascinating research, I mean, results, some preliminary results that were really mind-blowing. Can you right. share with our readers, listeners, or viewers, uh, some of these interesting preliminary results? Um, there's so many results, and it's really a, it's a huge topic, but can you give us just a summary of some of the things that you found? Uh, I'd love to. Okay, so if we focus in on uh, metabolomics, it's worthy uh, to note that there's two types of metabolomics that you, metabolomic analysis that you can perform. You can either perform targeted metabolomic analysis or untargeted metabolomic analysis. Now, what we've done so far is something called targeted metabolomics. Now, that means that we've taken a subset of metabolites that we know exist in dogs, and we know that they will always exist in dogs, right? So if we look at preliminary results on our targeted metabolites, which, which means that we've selected, uh, ahead of time, we've selected a certain set of metabolites concentrations that we want to analyze in different tissue samples of. We focused on urine samples and different blood samples. Now, when I say different, I'm just talking about serum and plasma, because both of them then uh, are good for different types of metabolites. The first result that I think is really fascinating and that you uh, saw was that we can do pure metabolomic analysis, even targeted metabolomic analysis, in which you we just simply got a snapshot of what the metabolome or a, uh, looks like for a dog after having been on a diet uh, that's random, you know? So our baseline dogs actually were had really random values and there wasn't any significant um any significant amounts of some uh some diet in in our baseline now what's interesting with that is that we then compared that with the uh, metabolomic profile these targeted metabolites after a dietary intervention with uh, both raw and dry food and we noticed that the metabolomic profile actually changed quite significantly between these two groups. So I would also like to show the results that we have from after the uh, after the dietary intervention. You did dry-fed dogs and then you put them on raw food for three or four months and then you took raw-fed dogs and put them on dry food for three or four months and then you did metabolomics. And those results of this dietary intervention or change, there was some pretty profound differences. In the baseline uh, group, we, did, uh, we performed analysis at both baseline and at end. And in baseline, I didn't know what the dogs were eating. And at the end, um, there were two groups, was raw and dry food, right? And the metabolite concentrations between these two end groups after the dietary intervention uh, were quite significantly different. Now, what you can do with metabolomic analysis, which is so 
new and novel compared to, um, say, uh, other types of uh, epidemiological, epidemiological studies is that uh, instead of maybe looking for just one marker in the blood, you can actually, instead of just detecting one marker, you can deter you can uh, detect an entire set of markers. And so instead of just looking at the rise of concentration of one thing, you're, we're actually looking at patterns of changes mm -hmm. instead. And so what, what were the different patterns from the dry-fed dogs versus the raw-fed dogs? What were some of the changes that you've seen? Yeah. yeah, this is where things get interesting because you can introduce uh, the field of bioinformatics. There's actually a ton of information about molecular biology available um, in different databases. So you can uh, take the results that we got from our dogs and say, and uh, just say, okay, well these metabolites all significantly change between the raw and dry group. Let's compare these metabolites with known metabolomic pathways or metabolic pathways that are found in the dog and see how they might, um, how relevant they might be. And so we did that and we actually found that there are some pathways, metabolic pathways that are significantly disrupted by um, changing the diet from uh, uh, raw to dry or from dry to raw. The thing was that I didn't know what they were eating at baseline. So there, all I know is that those pathways are significantly disrupted and merit further research. Mm -hmm. And by analyzing the end results of the dog um, in the different dietary groups and measuring the different uh, changes of metabolites, you can actually take that data and compare it to databases online uh, about metabolic pathways. And through that, you can then get some pretty good pictures of which metabolic pathways are disrupted mm -hmm. based on diet. We found that uh, the uh, metabolism of a metabolite called methionine, as well as uh, vitamin B metabolism, were both significantly altered. And I think that it's fascinating that we were able to get this kind of uh, this kind of result with targeted metabolomic analysis because we weren't looking for disruptions in this metabolic pathway. This information just emerged be because it's there. Mm -hmm. uh, we weren't looking for it. Mm -hmm. It came to us. Did you have any other uh, kind of findings that you weren't anticipating or uh, did you learn anything uh, unexpected uh, that, that you, I guess, in addition to uh, to methionine and B, any other markers that you were that you were right. shocked to discover? Right. So I think that it's fascinating that it's exactly these metabolic pathways that have been upregulated because these have to do with um, all kinds of uh, DNA methylation and antioxidation processes with throughout the body. So as a um, as a sort of a preliminary guess, it sort of seems like uh, these metabolic pathways are significantly upregulated in dogs being fed dry food. And what this means is that it sort of seems like uh, there's more stress in dogs that eat dry food. They simply undergo more stre stress. Uh, metabolites 
that are central for DNA methylation are significantly upregulated, which signifies that the body is simply working at an elevated uh, rate. Yep. Now, what this could be because of is still a mystery, and this is something that we need untargeted metabolic support in the future. And is that something, Robin, that with additional funding you would you would pursue? Is that on the list of projects? Yes, I would say that uh, what I've been focused on so far, um, targeted metabolomics, is a great place to start this research. But it's the tip of the iceberg in terms of what's possible um, with this technology. Um, Johanna will be mentioning how she will be performing RNA transcription and uh, through, through that we'll find new candidate genes. Well, you can do exactly the same thing with metabolomics and it can get really interesting because you're not only detecting certain metabolites concentrations, you're, metab you're detecting whole patterns of metabolite concentrations that are correlated with um, or that may be correlated with you know, disease or the predisposition for disease. So if I were to summarize, if I heard you correctly, and if I'm going to summarize um, for pet parents out there, right. you, can, you can look at sets of metabolites that are predictive or common with certain pathways, including disease pathways, or in this situation, a set of metabolites that was common, is a common characteristic that would that would demonstrate that, that feeding dry food was harder on a dog's body, harder meaning it caused the body to work um, uh, more uh, aggressively in, in an attempt to process that food. And as you mentioned, we don't know why that is, but dry food was more metabolically stressful on the body than your analysis of raw food. Right. Well, I mean, in the, this is, it's important to point out that we're, we have a data set of targeted metabolites, so we can't say for sure that all metabolites are simply in significantly higher concentrations. But metabolites involved with antioxidation and a lot of cell um, maintenance, especially hepatic cells, the cells of the liver, are significantly upregulated, which means that there's more activity. Now, why that is could be for, any no or for a couple of reasons. Um, simply, they could be uh, present in the food that the dog eats in dry diets and they thus accumulate in the blood. However, I think that that is unlikely since um, there are so many steps between uh, entering the dog's mouth and then, you know, being present in the bloodstream. The other alternative is that um, the organs that are used to maintain, regulate the metabolite concentrations for some reason aren't working as well as they should be. Mm -hmm. For example, the liver and the kidneys um, might be somehow downregulated or might be stressed for some reason and not work as efficient. Uh, we also, like I mentioned before, we were studying urine metabolites and it's also noteworthy that uh, metabolites present in the urine um, fully support that the methionine and vitamin B pathway have been significantly raised in dry-fed dogs, oh. and so it seems that there se it seems that uh, yeah there there's some type of disruption in function. And you know one 
one thought that I had was about one metabolite, homocysteine, that you sure. had mentioned and yes. that you had uh, shown us when we were there that homocysteine is a, a general inflammatory marker. Some, some veterinarians and a lot of medical doctors will use homocysteine as a marker for chronic disease. Can you mention the results that you found between uh, dry-fed dogs and raw-fed dogs and homocysteine levels? Oh, sure. So what we noticed was that um, homocysteine significantly increased in, um, in dry-fed dogs. Now, the significance is not um, at a P below 0.05 level. However, it is very close to that. So it uh, definitely merits further investigation, although we can't have any uh, very steady conclusions. Methionine, however, it did uh, increase in a significant way. Now, I mentioned methionine because homocysteine and methionine are pretty much almost the same molecule. The only difference is that there's a methyl group attached to methionine, which it then donates to homocysteine and vice versa, depending on the needs of the body. This is really interesting because homocysteine is, uh, has been traditionally a biomarker, like you mentioned, for all types of diseases, especially hepatic diseases and cardiovascular diseases. However, there's also been uh, information that uh, homocysteine levels and um, obesity are really strongly correlated. And uh, so, so it definitely merits uh, further, further research. And I think it's also really interesting that um, homocysteine breakdown actually uh, occurs mainly via the methionine, methionine pathway, which is the most significant metabolic pathway uh, in terms of disruption between these two diets. And it, it's all fascinating, but it feels to me like you are halfway through uh, with this research, maybe more than halfway through. Oh, no. Not no. even close? Tip of the iceberg. Okay. There's so many ways that you can go with this. What you can say now, what we can say for sure now, and what we can publish is that something happened due to um, a dietary intervention uh, and it's a significant difference, and it happened uh, in these with these metabolites. And these metabolites are all linked to a metabolic pathway, which is very important in terms of cell regulation and uh, maintaining a healthy organism. So that's fascinating. But we what we don't know is why does this take place? And since we've only studied um, targeted metabolomics, we really don't know what we're not seeing. We need to uh, perform untargeted metabolomics to fill in the blanks that we have currently. Because if you if you think about it, we've only looked at about 100 metabolites now, but there's tens of thousands present in any living cell. And so what we need to do is fill in the blanks. So. But, and, and, uh, and is that a part, Robin, is, is that a part of, of the goals of, of future research projects? Is that you're looking oh, to, definitely. yeah, okay. And so with additional funding, what would happen, if we're capable of meeting our goal of getting dog risk uh, funded through this year, what next steps would you be able to take in your research? Right, so we have two, um, two prospects that are on the table at the moment, and both I think are great. One is uh, 
very affordable in the sense that we could reperform a um, targeted metabolomic analysis on the dog samples that we used, the blood samples, blood serum samples. Now, if we, if we would redo a targeted metabolomic analysis, we would focus in and narrow in on the metabolites all associated with the pathways that I'm studying. And that would give us uh, a lot more detail into exactly why um, we're experiencing or why we're noticing these results or why these results are appearing. And then we would also be able to better combine the data that we get from this with uh, nutrigenomics and nutrigenetics, which uh, Johanna is doing. And oh, sorry, and then uh, the other uh, less affordable, far more expensive approach is what I've been talking about as well, which is untargeted metabolomics, where instead of uh, actively searching out for metabolite concentrations that we want to observe in the dog, instead we can just get a snapshot of all of the metabolite concentrations that are present in the dog tissue sample or blood sample at the time, which is great because then you can really get in if we, you know, for example, would want to perform pathway enrichment analysis in which we find the different uh, metabolic pathways that are, you know, significantly altered due to diet, we can, you know, just uh, shoot for the moon. We can look at at all of the different metabolic pathways that are known to exist in a dog, and then we can really get interesting results. Who knows? And so what are some of the future research questions that can be tackled based on the, your data collected so far? The other question is how can we, or what can we learn from this data about um, both dog, canine nutrition as well as uh, human nutrition. Something that hasn't been talked about so much is um, how currently a lot of human health is studied on a molecular level with rat and mouse models. And if you think about a rat and a mouse, yes, they are mammals, but they don't really resemble a human very well. They're used, even though they don't work very well, as models simply because they're so cheap to, um, to study. However, a dog is far genetically far more uh, far closer related to a human than what a, a rat or a mouse is, as well as the fact that if you use a um, pet dog, they actually share the same living environment as you know humans, and so we might be able to uh, use them as a better model organism for human disease as well. Can you yeah. just touch on what the results were, Robin, when you took baseline samples and then dogs were put on raw food? Did you see, what beneficial changes did you see uh, with raw-fed dogs? Sure, great. Um, so I've been talking about two metabolic pathways. It should be, wor or it's worthwhile to uh, note that of the, uh, from the data set that we've used so far, actually a lot more than two, about nine metabolic pathways have been uh, significantly altered. Now, in the raw food, uh, raw fed group, we saw a significant increase in uh, metabolites that donate methyl groups to DNA. 
and we saw that these were significantly down-regulated in dogs that were fed dry food. The precursors for creating these groups were vice versa. Uh, the uh, dogs that were fed raw food had significantly less methionine and homocysteine, which contribute to creating methyl, uh, methyl group donors, whereas uh, dry food dogs, like I mentioned previously, had significantly elevated levels. This is why I think that there's a disruption in the metabolic system in, in, in general. Um, a lot of these methyl group donors, uh, you might not be familiar with the term, are involved with antioxidation processes as well as gene regulation. And so they are necessary in the body and they are used for a plethora of different, um, uh, different uh, things, <laughs> I guess. So, so I think that it's very interesting that um, that they they increase, and they've also been shown to these methyl group donors have also been shown to uh, correlate with uh, normal function. Yeah. Of of an animal organism, or of a mouse or a rat, that's what's been studied so far. So one of the one of the questions I asked Robin when I was in Helsinki was. Do you have a dog? And he said, no, uh, you want a dog, but, but he desperately wants a dog. But where he lives, uh, they don't allow dogs. And I said, I oh, you, you got one? No, no, I live in, oh. I just moved. I oh. live in a place. Okay, yes, yes. But, but I said, but if you were, and, and that, so that was my first question is, do you have a dog? Yes, and he sorry. said, no. And then I said, well, if you were to get a dog, what food, based on this research, um, so my other question was, were you involved with pet food research before you joined the Dogress team? And Robin said no, that this was his first exposure, his first go around with pet food. And I said, well, based off of your research, if you got a dog, what would you feed your dog? With what you know now, what would, how would you be choosing to nourish your dog if you had one, based on the research that you're doing? Um, and, well, why? Okay. and why, and okay. why? Yes. <laughs> Sure. Uh, okay. To be perfectly honest, I would feed uh, raw food just for because I've been uh, been in, involved in this group and I've seen just how from how many sides this matter has been tackled. And so it's not just my my research that uh, that I would use, but but if I would have to use only my uh, research, I would definitely feed the dog predominantly raw food. It seems that uh, the there's just simply less stress, or the dog undergoes less stress uh, metabolically uh, with the raw food diet. Wonderful. Well, what you are doing um, appears to be complicated and very complex, but very exciting, and most importantly, Robin, uh, critically important for the advancement of research, objective research, pertaining to how we nourish our dogs and the impact that food has on our dogs' bodies. So I appreciate uh, your role in getting this research completed. Thank you. Oh, hey, thank you.